0: peaceful protest, We're walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And As a young person, you got you to listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are going to look back. Our kids are going to look back at this and say, you were a part of that. I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King
1: in the 60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We got to keep pushing
0: forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society.
2: Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison.
0: Welcome in, everybody, to Forward Progress. I am Kirk Morrison, the eight-year NFL veteran. Well, I'm giving Jax, man, my, my my normal partner, Jax. We know Jason Jackson. I'm giving him a little bit of time off. That's why I had to go bring my guy. I had to go wrestle my guy away from NFL radio. He's my colleague over there, a guy who uh, uh, has a lot of accolades himself. The great Brad Hopkins, the former Pro Bowler, All-Pro. Played in, what Super Bowl was that, Brad? 38 you played in? With the 34. Tennessee? T- 34, there 34. it is. See, 34. But my guy, Brad Hopkins, he joins Forward Progress this week. He'll be co-hosting as we dive into race, sports, inclusivity, We got a little bit of everything that we talk about here, but this week, more importantly, uh, we're talking about 50 years, 50 years of Title IX, Brad. And, you know, the one thing I love about this show, Forward Progress, is that it gives me the opportunity to go back and do my own research, right? Because I'm like, I want to make sure I'm well-versed on the topic and well-versed to understand that I can eloquently talk about Some of the topics that we cover here on Forward Progress. So when it came to Title IX for me, and maybe this is kind of some of the uh, the caveman mentality of of yesterday was when I thought of Title IX, it was just yeah, equal sports. You got to have nine men's sports and nine women's sports. It's equal sport. That's all I remember. But you never knew the foundation of what Title IX really was all about. And Title IX. And this is, as it was written, was no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation or be denied the benefit of or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity that is receiving federal financial assistance. So this is sports throughout little league, high school, college, that you can't, there's no discrimination against women or other groups, everything has to be equal. And the more I looked into it, I realized just how much title IX has impacted. I think not just obviously sports in general, but a lot of me and you, we play football, you know, that's a major sport, but that's a major sport in North America. You think about what soccer has been able to do throughout the country, throughout the world, that now sports like that, more women, more little girls are able to play on an equal playing field because they have those opportunities. Those opportunities weren't given to women back in the day. Right. Those opportunities weren't given to young girls to go out and play sports um, on, on the same you know, opportunities as the men had. So as I was diving back into Title IX, and as we celebrate 50 years since Title IX was passed, what were your thoughts, Brad, when when you heard the term Title IX, and just kind of how far it's gone? Hmm.
1: Well, you you have to go back a little further um, than, say, 1972 when uh, it was enacted. Uh, Go back to post-World War II, Mm. when basically women... Uh, were forced out of the home and into industry uh because of obviously the men deployed. Correct. Uh, women were then picking up wrenches. Women were then, you know, manning offices. Women were then showing their capability of doing things at a that the men were able to do sometimes more efficiently, more productive. <laughs> uh, so then there was no, you know, once the men returned home, well, time to go back to the kitchen. Nah, you know, so then started this, the, the whole concept of men and women working together. And that really was, I, I think, <laughs> you know, met with some resistance to a right. point where Title IX was necessary mm-hmm. to be able to create a foundation for the availability of this, of pursuits in this endeavor, in these endeavors. You see what I'm saying? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. In
1: other words, not just sports, but being educated. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Having access to all of those things generally that give you the potential you know, you, you know, to be independent, to support yourself and to pursue all the all the things that you would want to pursue, not just you know, delegated to those things that we think you should be you know privy to. You know, now it's hey, look, if you see yourself being a professional athlete, you can be that. If you see yeah. yourself being a CEO of a company, you can be that because you're qualified, you know, because you've done the same thing. That your male counterparts have done to be you know warranted to work in these positions and that's where the where it started you see right and you know we're not done yet i think it's some of the (laughs) things that we'll talk about later on in the show and it's true we're just not starting to get into that but we're also starting to get into the understanding that people love watching sports okay and because they love watching sports and television can be a conduit to a new audience Right. their lens financial you know abilities then to to have it be a career. So now we gotta start looking at sports a little bit differently. You know, back in the 70s, you know, we had PE, right? And yeah. we went out and had recess <laughs> and did all that So you played sports and your But that wasn't something that you focused your day on, right? Right. It was just something to get Correct. some exercise. Right. Nowadays we have academies that are dedicated to bringing out the talent that these athletes have you know, intermingling the academics, you know what I'm saying? But understanding that there may have been an opportunity because this kid is walking a different path to be able to maximize his earning potential in these areas as well. So, and the only reason why that's happening is because television is helping us do that. Yes. The average is. salary, Kirk, the average salary of an NFL player in 1980 was guess how much?
0: 80, I would say, man, oh. I would probably the average salary back in 1980. I would probably say it's about 78,000. Oh, I was close. Now okay.
1: <laughs> that that equates for inflation today, by about you know two fifty, two sixty. You know that's right. it's really good.
0: Yeah, it decent. ain't fifty
1: million. It ain't fifty right. million. You know okay. what I'm saying? It's not hundred million guaranteed, which is some yeah. we're starting to tickle into these areas now. Guaranteed contracts. We'll get into it for a later on discussion, but. You know, the fact that athletes are now making nine figures, if you think about, you know, 50 years ago, it wasn't even a thought. So that shapes now kids thinking, you know, if I can, by the time I'm 25, make a million (laughs) dollars. You know, that's a huge jumpstart into the rest of my life. Not thinking, most of them are thinking about the cliff that they're inevitably sprinting towards, because that's Mm -hmm. what a pro career is, it's a cliff it just drops so. off and it ends and you got to, you know, hopefully you got a parachute rather than an anchor. You know? yep. well, so, I know. Yeah. But the point is we're now starting to shape our thinking around, you know, taking, taking advantage of all of our opportunities, not just academically, but um, athletically. And if you can combine the two, then that's exactly how you would want to do it, especially early on in life.
0: You know, Brad, the original text, as it was written and signed into law, Uh, Title IX, by President Richard Nixon back in 1972. This was the original text from uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, No person in the United States shall, based on sex, be excluded from participation, be denied benefits of, or be subject to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving the assistance of the federal government. I, uh, <laughs> the one thing that I, when I read that now was that no person. So basically it's saying women, you, you don't have to be back in the kitchen, don't, don't listen to that. You are just as much of an athlete as maybe your male counterpart. And, you know, for me, I'm a, you know, I'm an avid golfer. I love golfing on the weekends, but I, I do watch the golf channel at times. Uh, and I'm watching women's golf. I'm watching the women's soccer team. I'm watching the WNBA now, especially because you you have, um, you know, you've watched them grow from the high school, college ranks, and now you're watching them in the WNBA. And I'm looking at the NIL, right, the name, image, likeness, and how women are finally getting, I won't even say finally, but when I'm looking at the numbers that you mentioned a little bit earlier that are being thrown out for women influencers in sports and the money that they're this all wouldn't have happened without Title IX and the opportunity that Title IX has given so many women, especially the young women of today who are. I mean, I look at Venus and Serena. <laughs> you know what I mean? You think about some mm-hmm. of the, the greatest athletes ever. And the way that they this opportunity of Title IX has given so many women. That that's kind of been what I've been thinking about over the last couple couple of days in preparing for this show.
1: Yeah, but it's it's honestly it's what sells right okay it's it's and i say that because even in division one ranks and say football something that you and i experience, we know that there are different levels of programs there are the alabamas then there are the uab's mm-hmm. you see what Definitely i'm saying right oh yeah okay and the difference is what uh, viability as a product i guarantee you that most people outside of the state of alabama Don't know who the governor is, but they know who the head coach of the Alabama program is. Yeah, they do. Because of what? Because of what it actually brings as far as revenue to that university. Okay. And with that difference, you have to wonder is the media willing to put on as compelling a product for the female sport as they are for the male sport? Are there programs out there that are worth sinking the kind of investment that TV has in institutions like Alabama in a women's program? You see what I'm saying? What yeah. is the return for that? Is the audience going to be as big? You see, what I'm saying that, I think that that's one of the things that television, you know, it does have an influence in the sports that we see because you know on college game day, comes to your campus. That's millions of dollars rolling through, your, rolling through your campus. We know that. Does women's sports have that same kind of influence? Can we now start to see a shift in our thinking about women's involvement in sports to be able to support you know at that level, so in that way their revenues increase?
0: Yeah, you know. I- Take a pause here because all of this Title IX talk in the anniversary, 50 years of Title IX, I know someone who can help us talk about Title IX and not only what it's done for the women's national team in soccer, but what it's done for her life. We're talking about two-time Olympian Angela Hughley. She's going to join us next here on Forward Progress. Can't wait to talk to her uh, about Title IX, but also soccer, women's soccer in our country And what it's done for her. So, Angela Hukles, coming up next here on Forward
2: Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio.
0: We've been talking about Title IX so far on the program, but Title IX has grown. And when I say it's grown, it's grown. And in some cases, I would say it's gotten a lot better from where it first started at. But I do turn and digress just a little bit, because when you have a two-time Olympian joining the program, you got to stop in your tracks a little bit. And that's who we have joining us right now. Angela Huklis, the two-time Olympic gold medalist, 2009 U.S. Soccer Foundation Humanitarian of the Year, the founding investor in the NWSL, that's the New Women's Soccer League, Angel City FC also, she is the Angel City FC Vice President of Player Development and Operations. She's appeared in 109 matches. With look, this I, I can go on and on with the resume. She's also a pride of Virginia in terms of the Virginia Cavaliers go hoos. By the way, she's Angela Euclis, she joins for progress. First of all, Angela, I love naming off all of these accolades because. For me, trust me, I know me and Brad, when people start letting off your resume, you're like, man, I, I was actually pretty good. So when you hear all those accolades being read <laughs> off, man, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you?
3: That I'm old. <laughs> That's no, what no, I think. No. <laughs> I've had some time in my life. <laughs> um, no, it's it's funny, actually, because, um, you know, I feel, I feel very blessed that I've had a a fun experience with my career, uh, with yeah. being able to take a sport that I loved at a, as a young child, um, a sport that actually was, was a family sport for us. And my family was very involved, um, you know, obviously my development, but, uh, when it came to playing a sport that, um, not everyone has access to in our, in our country because of, uh, the resources that it takes the um, the sacrifices that have to be made. i mean I think that's what it brings me back to thinking about all, all the time before it even got to um, the opportunities that I had to play for the national team to to play as a professional um, it, it brings me back to you know the beginning um, because of all the progress that has been made and and being able to look back and see all the changes that happened. Uh, From the time that I was a seven year old with pigtails and eating orange slices (laughs) at halftime um, to being um, in a position that, you know, for me, especially as a a woman of color, um, you know, we don't necessarily see um, a lot of people who look like me. And and I think that's part of uh, the change and the shift that we're starting to see. Um, But uh, but I am also able to look back with um, with with pride and um, uh, a lot of fond memories as well.
1: Angela, talk a little bit more about that, the evolution of the sport through your eyes. You know, it obviously is a lot different, um, the way we view sports, period. It, it's no longer extracurricular. Now it is, in some instances, the curriculum. So just talk about it from, from your perspective, how kids have have basically changed their view of soccer and participating in sports like that from when
3: you were a kid. I mean, that's a great question, too, because I think when I started playing, I played with all boys. Um, there really weren't a whole lot of girls teams to play for um, a lot of people in in my generation, my age range. When I look at um, the players who did get to the, the top levels, it was very similar. Um, and there there was no professional women's soccer league in our country when yeah. I started playing soccer. Like I didn't have that see it to believe it model. You know, it didn't exist. It, there was no Angela, you have a pathway to become a professional women's soccer player in our country. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a big change now. Um, and, and now I'm working with a, a club and an organization, uh, angel city FC that, you know, we're an expansion team. This is our first year in the league. Um, but right from the beginning and the outset, you know, the model of what we are doing with this sport and how we are trying to elevate the women's game specifically um, in a, in a variety of ways, one of which is building our own training facility. Uh, so here mm. I, am, you know, a player playing with all boys growing up, you know, not a lot of, um, you know, competitive girls seems to play for. Not a professional women's soccer league in our country, uh, and I'm I'm working now with the team that is building a, a training facility for their women's professional team, which you know will be one of the first. Um, mm. in the, do that. So, you know, a lot. A lot has changed, a lot has shifted. Still a lot to be done, but I mean, some incredible forward progress.
0: <laughs> I like them. There it is. What forward progress. There? You, you got that. There. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Angela, one of the things is I know that you also have been a keynote speaker, motivational speaker as well, but you you tell your story. And, and when you do tell your story about how you started playing soccer uh through the ranks from high school to college. Professionally, uh, Olympics, World Cups, and what you're doing now. When you tell that story, what sticks out to you most about telling your story that hopefully you can impact the next generation of women soccer players?
3: Yeah, I think I'm I'm real big on pathways and showing and creating opportunities, um, some of which that maybe hadn't existed before. Uh, so when I think about you know just my personal journey and 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 my story, I think you know, a few things, um, you know, having a lot of support and having people who were invested in, in my growth and my journey was, was instrumental, you know, and yes, my family and my parents, but, you know, coaches at critical times in my life, um, uh, teammates who, you know, were there. And I think, um, I think there's, there are elements of my story in which anyone can relate to because, um, I have been a, a substitute player. I have been a starter. You know, I have had every single role that you can have. You know, especially when you look at a sports team. Um, and you know, I I followed a passion and, and a joy. You know, had some some support and some training, set goals. But you know, it, there there was a pathway and there was there was a plan that was kind of put into place. Um, especially when I started identifying my longer term goals of. Hey, I want to play for this, this team, this U S team, you know, here are, here's this incredible group of badass women who, you know, are completely dominating the world stage and, and they're competitive and they're like me, right. Um, in this sport. And so, you know, putting that all together, you know, I look at myself and my journey, my path, and, and I say, here's something that I was able to accomplish that, you know, not a lot of people are able to, but but there, there was a process to that that people can follow, you know. And if you are able to identify and have that clarity around what you truly want to achieve in life, and you put the plan, and you're able to get the support and, and put the tools and resources around yourself, um, then you can accomplish that. And I think for me, that is something that um, is a life lesson um, that I can take with me and apply it to any area of my life. But but anyone else can do the same thing too.
1: Angela, how did you connect your passion? for the sport of soccer and, and basically your pursuit of an education. Mm. And we know that's the most important thing, you know, title IX for progress, our whole foundation is talking about lending to opportunities, you know, to be able to educate and of course uh, introduce ourselves to different industries, you know, that otherwise might've had a door closed in our face. Just, just kind of share with us your thoughts of how you, I mean, from a family perspective, have turned the sport of soccer into basically a career.
3: Yeah, I think it, it's definitely rooted in in my upbringing in, in the sense that um, both my parents were educators. So education has been a very strong value instilled um, from the very beginning. Um, and, and still a lot of people don't realize that Title IX was actually um, enacted around education policy and change. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously sport was a big benefactor of that. Um, and so I think uh, looking at... Being able to to follow something that I I truly enjoyed, um, I found confidence in, it it kind of just came together in terms of being able to follow something. Um, And again, you know, the support um, and sacrifice my parents were able to make and putting me in positions, um, you know, when it wasn't necessarily the easiest thing for them to do. Um, You know, it's something that I take with me, you know, for for my parenting with my children and um, being able to show what the opportunities truly are and be able to just let them choose and, um, you know, be there for guidance. But I think being able to, to take that and see that, I mean, sport has been my education, right. That sure. has been such a huge component of my personal development. And, and I think that is the power that we see with sport. So, um, you know, with title nine specifically being something that is helping to open up more doors Um, at a a critical time, you know, 50 years ago, um, when we're thinking about it, it it's it's crazy to think over five decades, um, and and we still are needing to provide more when we look at equality um, across the grade um, and sport because of of the ability to create environments, to create safe spaces, to provide physical um, and physiological and mental um, benefits I mean, all of those things are wrapped up when you think about education, but Title IX has been such um, a critical component for someone like myself, you know, being female to at least have those doors and opportunities open so I could have that experience and then build a career as well.
0: We're speaking with the two-time Olympic gold medalist and also the Angel City FC Vice President of Player Development and Operations, Angela Huklis. And Angela, the one, the one thing that I was kind of thinking about uh, over the last couple days when I had the opportunity to uh, interview, I said, well, What do I want? I wanted to ask her because I felt that the change or the, the social impact that women's soccer, women's basketball now has on our society, that the voice of women are not afraid to come out and stand up for what they believe in. Whereas, yeah, I know for a couple of guys, me and Brad, you know, guys kind of we tend to, OK, what's the plan or what are we doing? Where it seems that women's soccer has had a main front of, of getting out front and saying, hey, this is what needs to be done. This is what needs to be changed. We've seen it in the WNBA as well. For you, the the impact that women's soccer, women's sports has made on the, the whole dynamic of just um, America in general in terms of social change that we need.
3: I mean, it's incredible. Um, you know, we look at the last couple of years, obviously, and, and all the social movements. Yeah, uh, and we look at the WNBA, what they've been able to do, um, shifting politics, right? Yes. I mean, right. incredible, um, rallying, and and that that is the power of it. I think it's come there's it's part of it being the right time, too, um, because we've we've clearly had. Uh, incredible, phenomenal leadership within women and, and women in sport in the past. Um, you know, Billie Jean King is someone who is, you know, I think a living legend, um, you know, doing things years ago and and really actually um, a mentor and role model for my captain, Julie Foudy on the U.S. Women's National Team. Um, so being able to also have extremely uh, great leadership that have been able to get a collective group together. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen this in the WNBA and, and basketball and, and, you know, my experience with especially the U.S. women's national team. Um, it It is making sure that every single person is collectively together and on the same page uh, to shift. Um, and it's happened over a period of time, right? It, it started way back when, but now we're starting to see, you know, the things that the U.S. Women's National Team and and that leadership and the culture that they had built years ago, how that has maintained and been consistent and within the right time and continuously um, not giving up and and pushing and fighting for what is deserved, we now see equal pay for the U.S. US Women's National Team, right? (laughs) right? So, you know, we We see it now and we're living in this time where we're starting to see some of these incredible changes toward, you know, pay equity and gender equality. But it happened 50 years ago, right, or 100 years ago with with these shifts in our society and our change. But sport has been such an incredible vehicle to allow athletes to use a platform um, to gather their respective communities and and bring um, this shift that we're we're seeing now and, and now being able to experience and live.
0: Yeah, you mentioned it there, uh, the equal pay and how it took 50 years, well, longer than that, but sure. <laughs> the, yeah, the effects of Title IX. And finally, women speaking up and say, hey, look, we have to have equal pay with the men. I mean, well, what's the difference? And to see that now, 2022, they reached an agreement that there will be equal pay, the women's national team, the men's national team as well. For you, who was on that team, kind of describe, I, I guess, some of the, the uh, Uh, the differences that you saw and then how happy you are now for these women, they get a chance to be on the equal level playing field of pay when it comes to the men's national team.
3: Yeah. I think one thing that might not be even talked about a lot is we have a female president at us soccer right now, Cindy Perlacone who was a former us women's national team player. Um, Angel city. We are predominantly female owned and, and run and operated. We are having women in leadership positions that are actually making decisions that haven't been in these positions before. So so when that happens, when you have people with different experiences and diverse backgrounds, um, you change the conversation, you change the way that problems are approached. Uh, So there has been a change in that, which has, I think, made an incredible difference in what we're now seeing and living today when, when it talks When we're talking about gender issues, right? When you have women who are in these leadership positions who are able to make decisions about what is happening to other women, you're going to start to see some positive change. So uh, I think that has been um, one huge factor uh, in what we're seeing. But also, again, the time in which um, you know women are able to to be in a a space to speak up, uh, be heard, um, and have other allies as well. I mean, the the deal doesn't necessarily get done without the participation on the men's side and their players association as well. So it's, it's a very collaborative approach, um, uh, which I think is a little bit also different um, when you look at some of the styles and and ways that women lead and men lead. Um, But I think that change, even though, um, it's small and an end big. I think that has really been a critical factor um, and really pivotal for this moment in time.
1: Yeah, it's funny how the media helped bring uh, attention to the inequities, Angela, mm. but it's also the media uh, that is the foundation of what we're talking about as far as dollars and cents. It's about endorsements. And you as an athlete, Uh, Understanding that the endorsement dollar is super important for being able to maximize your earning potential with the talent that you possess. So, you know, I guess my thoughts, my question would be for you to give your thoughts about um, like endorsement opportunities. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're starting to see a a push in the media now to almost normalize women in sports. Mm -hmm. Do, Do you see this? And how effective do you think that measure is in changing the psyche? of people accepting women in sports, therefore increasing the endorsement opportunity.
3: Yeah, I love that, the psyche, right? Because I think right there's perception, there's reality, there's statistics, right? We are seeing real dollars being invested into women's sports, right? It's not donations, it's not charity. People are seeing a business model in which they can earn money by investing in women's sports now. That is a, that's a big shift and even how we're phrasing it and, and using the language around um, uh, financial opportunity and, and women's sport. Um, you look at Gatorade's kind of recent announcement, right? And their shift of how they are spending their marketing dollars toward women's sports more specifically now and, and how they're shifting their approach in that. So when you see these major brands, uh, would you see an ownership group in angel city of hundred plus owners uh, who are willing to put their, their money um, into women's sports. uh, When you see the type of sponsorships that and and partners that are are being attracted to um, our club and in a big way, you know, people are understanding that there is a business model. There is a way to actually invest in women's sports now. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Are, are changing in terms of how they are, um, giving access to viewership, right? I mean, so it's 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 a little pebble is being stoned, but all the ripple effects um, it affects so much, and that's when we start to see, um, I think, bigger change happening. Um, but I think that it's it's the compounding uh, effects of all of it. Uh, but it it does start with how we are investing and where we're choosing to spend our dollars. Um, that's been a huge component of it.
0: You know, Angela, last one for me is what is the message uh, to not just young women soccer players, you know, young girls growing up and coming up the ranks, but also to young black girls who want to go out and play soccer. What's the message now that maybe was a little bit different when you were coming up the ranks? What's the message now that they can go out and kind of navigate through the soccer world and really become, I think, a truly a not just a, a high earning athlete, but truly a, a difference maker and an icon.
3: I think it's, you know, that this is a, this is an opportunity for you. This is something that exists. And I think it's the messaging of it, but it's also these young women and, and little girls now have the opportunity to actually see someone who looks like them right. in a position that they can then strive for and they can set a goal for and say um, that not just, you know, one person who looks like me, but maybe a couple people, right. That, that didn't exist for me when I was a a young girl. So there's so much, obviously the sport about mentality, right. So even just that little piece of feeling confident, feeling included in a sport, feeling like there's an opportunity and a chance for me because I see someone who looks like me so I can resonate with that. I mean, that is such a huge, powerful, um, element for a young person to have, uh, to gain confidence and to strive for something. So I don't necessarily think that like, the messaging is, is different except for now a young girl can actually see someone, um, and identify, and then actually have a little, maybe spark of a new idea and a new thought that maybe didn't exist before.
1: All right, Angela, leave us with this. They say with great wisdom, uh, the best thing to do with that great wisdom is to pass it on. Mm-hmm. Go back to eight-year-old Angela Euclid and, and what would you say to her that you think would help her and, and maybe to avoid some of the things that you thought were struggles. And then of course, accelerating on on your accomplishments. What would you tell eight-year-old Angela as she's getting ready for, for her journey?
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, always still just have fun with it. Like there are going to be hard times. There are going to be challenges. You might get cut from a team. You might be sitting on the bench, but you know what? you can get through it and you can learn from those opportunities. Um, something I still am telling my kids right now, even though they're like almost five and two um, and aren't going to get it, but, you know, it, it's the journey, right? And, it, and it's mm-hmm. about being able to learn from, you know, it's not necessarily a failure. Like Oprah Winfrey says, it's, it's not a failure. It's something pushing you in another direction. Right. So being able to take from Those lessons and enjoy the journey and the process, knowing that it's not going to be all wins, it's not going to be all, you know, glorious in on the on the podium. But you can take so much from each experience. So I, I still firmly believe in the the have fun and you know continue through the, the journey and the process.
1: All right. One, one more before we let you go. Oh, yeah. Uh,
3: absolutely. You, yeah. You're right. You're, <laughs> you're motivated. You're inspired. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I am. I'm
1: just you know there's a lot there's a lot working on up here. You know, especially yeah. of Some of the accomplishments you are in your sports. I just you know I um we know that football is is in the family gene right. But will there maybe be some. Football players in your family, you know, you have some, you know, some American football players. They might break the the cycle, you know.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the other football.
3: I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't think it'll be. I think. I think my daughter might be the the soccer football. I think my son. Okay. He's been like hundred percentile weight and height since birth. So oh like, yeah. Sound so like I got my, my uncle who was a football player. is was like linebacker. I was like hey, we'll see, we'll see. yeah so, yeah. Any, anything that they enjoy and and can yeah. be safe and I'm good with.
0: <laughs> see Angela, we have you on here to to talk about the forward progress. We talk about soccer. And here's Brad over here recruiting the next generation of football players, hey, right? Hey.
3: It's, <laughs> it's like N- NIL deals are happening.
1: Hey, NIL, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what about, that's what we're
3: talking about, Angela. That's what we're talking
1: about. Hey, you just, you just send them Kirk and I's away. We'll, we'll we take got care. you, uh,
0: man. Take
2: okay.
0: <laughs> She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist, the 2009 U.S. Soccer Foundation Humanitarian of the Year. Angel City FC vice president of player development and operations. And she's also a friend of the program. Angela Euclides, j- just thank you for joining forward progress. We can't wait to come back and uh, for you to come back and, and update us more on your journey. Best of luck and thank you for the time.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks so much.
0: That was Angela Hucles. But me and Brad, we got more for you. The Big East commissioner, Val Ackerman. I know she's got a thought or two when it comes to Title IX. She joins Forward progress coming up next.
2: You're listening to SiriusXM XM Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. You
0: know, when we get special guests here on Forward Progress, Brad, I, I literally, I, I stopped talking because I think the listeners want to hear more from them than they do from me. And our next guest is Val Ackerman. She's the commissioner of the Big East, and she joins Forward Progress. And Val, we're celebrating 50 years. Years, the fiftieth anniversary of Title IX and what it's meant to um, sports in general, not just women's sports, because we've seen the rise of women's sports. But I feel like sports in totality are so much better because we have so much. But when you think of Title IX and its impact, what's the first things that, that come to mind for you?
2: Well, Kirk, I think I think you said it well. It's been transformative, yeah, for sure. Um, not only for uh, for girls and women. And I've been a beneficiary of the law and what it made possible for me. Right. But also, I think it's enriched the sports world because it's not only gotten more girls and women playing, but now you've got them watching sports, Mm. buying tickets to games. (laughs) Um, You know, we've seen the rise over the last 20 years in particular of elite leagues like the WNBA and now the National Women's Soccer League, golf and tennis keep growing. And then finally, women like myself are getting a chance to be in decision-making positions in the sports world. And hopefully we're contributing in a positive way. And those things would not have happened, in my judgment, without um, Title IX and what it did to elevate, um, you know, these participation opportunities in the first instance. So it's very exciting to see 50 years being celebrated. And uh, I know for me personally, um, it made so much of what I did with my life possible.
1: All right. Fifty years ago, Val, women in sports was cliche, um, and I guess we're now to a point where we can recognize that there are inequities. You know, because there is so much attention paid to sports itself, and in all different uh, levels, I guess you could say. You yourself are a participant. You obviously went and played at a high level in college, uh, translating that into an unbelievable opportunity, Olympically, as well as um, what you've been doing. Um, as an administrator of sorts, just, you know, timeline for us, your, your thoughts on the reformation of women in sports from 1972
2: Mm -hmm. to now. Well, Brad, as I mentioned, it's it's personal for me because I grew up um, in the late sixties, in the late sixties, when there were really very few organized opportunities for girls in this country to play sports. I was lucky. My dad was an AD high school AD, he was a, he played sports himself. He was a basketball referee and so, and he was a great father. And so he took an interest in my sports career. And so I kind of came up, you know, throwing football around in the front yard and shooting hoops in the driveway, you know, playing ping pong, you know, in the basement, that kind of thing. So, but for that, I, you know, I wouldn't have um, had the sort of nurturing that young girls need at an early age if their dreams revolve around sports. And so for me, my first chance to play sports came in high school in the mid seventies. And this was after Title IX had been passed, things were starting to happen, but it didn't happen overnight. Title IX wasn't like a switch that went off. And then all of a sudden you had all this, It it was a gradual incremental process for these opportunities to become available for young girls and women. And I was on the front lines of that. I went to college on a partial basketball scholarship. At that time, there was one scholarship on the whole team at the University of Virginia. I had half of it. Mm. Um, And and the rest of the team was walk-on. And the men's team at that time at UVA, you all remember uh, Ralph Sampson, probably most of all, guys in my class, Jeff Lampley-Raker, Jeff Jones, they they were heroes on, on my campus. And the women's team was sort of at the bottom. And I have memories of that. um, And it was hard to sort of be part of the building process, but, um, but I wouldn't trade it away. I mean, it was exciting to be sort of helping lead this reformation, as you called it, about, you know, girls and women getting these chances that the guys had had for decades, you know. So that was, that was then, and you fast forward now, and it's, it's really so much better. Are there still inequities? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's too bad. I wish there weren't. But but at the same time, the glass, in my judgment, is really half full. There's been a lot of progress.
0: Yeah, I think the progress uh, for sure that I've seen is in obviously women's uh, the women's basketball national team, basketball national team. We've seen it also in the WNBA. But I think even of recent, uh, watching the likes of Don Staley and the South Carolina Gamecocks, who are national champions in women's collegiate basketball, when well, you look at the eyeballs now that are on women's sports now, and even for right now, uh, you know, my play-by-play partner is Beth Mullins. And seeing, turning to ESPN and Val, seeing the Women's College World Series, that was never, that was an afterthought, 15, 20 years. That wouldn't You would never think, but to see where women's and girls sports are now and being televised in the viewership, as a commissioner, you can speak to this as well just the, the television dollars that are now being, you know, given to the, the women's game just as much as the men's game.
2: Well, that's what, that's what I think everyone hopes will, will, you know, will happen, Kirk. I mean, yes. um, you know, the, the, the networks are their businesses. Yes, <laughs> they're, <laughs> right. they're running their models. They're deciding what their rights fees are based on their viewership or expected viewership. And so that's really, um, I think you know. Once we get past these sort of Title IX basics, can we get more girls and women playing, are the, are the, are the experiences sort of equitable? Then you get into some of these, you know, these important business questions: is can can women's sports make some money? Because we all know that's what happens on the men's side. I mean, you go to a college bowl game and football, or you go to March Madness game and men's basketball, and these are packed houses. Um, NBA games. I mean, at the pro level, they're bringing in millions and millions of fans on TV. And I think the idealists in us hope that someday, you know, women's sports can have team sports anyway, can have the same outcomes. I've always been an admirer for women's tennis for that reason, because I think they're about as close to, you know, the men are here and the women are pretty much here too. Yeah, any sport. I'm not sure we're there yet in sports like basketball or um you know, softball as it relates to baseball. Um, we, don't, we don't have like a WNHL yet, so we could make a comparison in ice hockey. But I think to your point, there's clearly signs of, of growth. Yes. Um, in recent years, and when we see big crowds at these games and we see the numbers, the audience numbers sort of going upwards, the arrows pointing in the right direction, I think it does give those of us who care about women's sports a lot of hope. That, you know, what's happened on the men's side over many decades, you know, can can begin to be replicated on the women's side. And if that happens, the players will share in the bounties, which is, you know, what you want to see because they they deserve it.
1: Sharing in the bounties. That's exactly what it's about, (laughs) Miss Val. And, you know, the funny thing is Hulu has a commercial out now that's kind of poking fun at the relationship that they have with athletes nowadays. I think there's one with Lomelo Ball, like he's on a jet and it's all greened out, you know, the boom stuff. We're starting to now see commercials with Sue Bird, yeah. you know, yeah. Elena deladan They're starting to now commercialize the female athlete, I guess, showing viability in supporting women's sports. Do you see the direction that the media has taken as far as involving, you know, prof- women in professional sports and giving the idea to young women that, hey, you know what, I can be that?
2: Well, that's what you want to have too. these sort of corollary effects are just what you said. There's more media coverage. The athletes are appearing in high profile you know endorsement endorsement platforms. Um, you know it's been sort of, sort of sporadic to your point. I mean remember when the WNBA launched, we were seeing players like Lisa Leslie and mm-hmm. Cheryl Swoops appearing in the Nike ads. Right. Um. And, you know, and the ads that other sponsors were producing, spending, you know, spending money to to create. And so and then it's sort of but it's sort of it's been like erratic. <laughs> and And now, I mean, it is a good sign that this is picking up again, if that's the way to put it. And you're seeing a variety of athletes. Obviously, the Olympics are another important platform for female athletes when they have gold medal performances, for example. In the winter or summer games, Madison Avenue gets activated around that. That's another good sign there, um, sort of reflective of the role model appeal and the marketing and commercial appeal of of top athletes, men and women both. So I think, yeah, I think what you're describing is sort of this mix of developments, you know, that signal um, um, progress, not only, I think, for women athletes, but for women in general in our society. And so to me, it's all part of a, a bigger narrative around, OK, the role of women, um, you know, at, you know, uh, be, be it in sports, be it in corporate America, be it in the government. Maybe we'll have a female president someday. We now, of course, have a, you know, a black woman as the vice president of the United States of America. Yeah. I mean, doesn't, you know, not much gets better than that unless you're the president. So I, I think all these things sort of are coalescing in really um, positive ways. And it's, it's, it's nice to see sports in, in a way, you know, helping lead the way for some of these barriers coming down.
0: Just a couple more minutes with Big East commissioner Val Ackerman here on forward progress, Kirk Morrison and Brad Hopkins. Uh, Yeah. This is the last one for me, Val, is that uh, we've seen what NIL name, image and likeness has done for collegiate, athletes over the last couple years now. It's really been, what, less than two years? Yeah,
2: less than oh, a yeah, year.
0: Yeah, only a year, yeah. But I think the biggest impact when I was reading the Sports and Business Journal is on many women competitors and women's sports, whether it's tennis, whether it's golf, whether it's uh, water polo. We've seen uh, a lot of name, image, and likeness go to a lot of women who are actually one of the high the higher earners when it comes to, in totality of name, image, and likeness. How much of that do you attribute to Title IX, but also you attribute to just, I think, sports in general of everybody seeing the different sports that are now being highlighted?
2: Well, you know, first I would say, yes, I will credit Title IX on that too, (laughs) because it made the opportunities possible and, and it gave these women a platform. Right. And so now NIL is allowing them to commercialize that in ways that didn't exist before. Or um, a lot of this seems to be happening, Kirk, on social because of social media followings. For so like yeah. example, we've got UConn, of course, in the Big East, and some of their women's basketball players are really like crushing it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and in part because of extraordinary, you know, Instagram followings, for example, that right. is real money to a marketer, you know, because of the followings these athletes have. So it is great to see not just football players predictably or men's basketball players, you know, cashing out here. But seeing women's athletes as well, and as you noted, it's a wide spectrum of sports that we're beginning to learn, um, you know, have athletes that uh, are beginning to take advantage of these opportunities. So again, another another good development for for women athletes.
1: You know, Val, the, the attention that the men get uh, in sports, it starts really in high school. You know, you, you see a six, 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 seven kid walking through the high school hallways, and you're like, oh, I know that kid's going to be one day. And unless a female is six five herself, we usually don't describe those career paths, you know, for women in sports. You know, so how long do you think it will be before we start acknowledging the fact that, you know, while we're prognosticating the the, the futures of these young athletes from a male perspective, when can we start you know, start doing that from a female perspective, do you think?
2: Well, I think it is happening, Brad. I mean, it may not be as um, sort of visible to the naked eye, you know what's happening, but behind the scenes, I think you are seeing a lot of activity um, around high school recruiting of female athletes. It's not just in a few sports anymore, like it was in my day. Um, I mean, there's women's sports that are growing in leaps and bounds, like lacrosse, for example. Mm -hmm. Women's lacrosse was not even didn't it didn't exist. When I was in high school, now it's a, it's a big deal. Women's soccer. My high school didn't even have a women's soccer team, girls team, when I was playing 50, 40 years ago. I mean, it's, it's, it all is all is all changing. And this sort of recruiting activity, again, may not be as visible to, to an onlooker, but it, it is definitely happening. And, and the competition to get a scholarship, for example, to a great school and to be on one of their teams is pretty fierce. And it's not just the male athletes. I do think women's athletes and girls' athletes are getting their due. And, you know, um, is it the same? Probably not. Are some sports more visible than others? Yeah. Per- certain parts of the country, for sure. You know, high school football in Texas is pretty big.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, always.
2: you know, girls' volleyball in Nebraska at the high school level is also pretty big. So it just, I think, depends. You just, uh, but, I, you know, um, yeah, I think what we're seeing, again, is like arrows pointing in an upward direction.
0: You know, I know you're a busy woman, so we appreciate the time. We thank you. I know you got a lot of uh, graduations and things upcoming with a lot of the athletes in the Big East. But congratulations to all of those graduates coming up. And and thank you for the time today.
2: Of course, guys. Pleasure being with you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: That was Big East Commissioner Val Ackerman, man. Just dropping it down for us. Thank you to her. But also thank you to Angela Huklis, who joined us a little bit earlier as well. My partner today brad hopkins man always a pleasure brother can't wait to do this again next week for our producer pernell brown i'm kirk morrison this has been for progress see you next time